Welcome to the BAM Biz Talk podcast, hosted by BAM Biz Hub, also known as the B Squared Hub Accelerator Program. We are a 501c3 nonprofit providing ideation, commercialization methodology, and mentorship to startups, early stage, and growth-driven businesses in the Permian Basin and beyond. The B Square Hub Accelerator Program is 100% online with access to the BAM team for curriculum questions, resources, and mentorship, as we are the only accelerator in the Permian Basin where face-to-face mentorship is available right here at home. We have over 900 enrollments in the B-Squared Hub Accelerator Program and are constantly seeking to add more courses and resources to create opportunities for you. Our team, board of directors and mentors are vast and experienced in an array of disciplines culminating in a well-rounded group of resources for our startups and businesses preparing to either enter the market or accelerate their growth. To find out more about us, go to bambizhub.com or call to set up a free consultation at 1-833-BAM-IDEA or 432-247-8840. That's 247-8840. Bam, here we are again, the Bam Biz Talk Podcast. We are here today with Dr. Susan Nash, uh, Director of Innovation, Energy Science, and Technology for AAPG. Hello, Susan, how are you doing today? Hi, it's so great to be here. I really admire what you're doing, and it's it's really an honor. Thank you. Oh, well, thank you so much for those kind words. We, we think highly of you as well. And when I say we, I mean Mr. Michael Crane here with president of BAM BizHub. How are you doing, Michael? Very good. Thank you for having me on a special show. I can hardly wait to have conversation with Susan. For sure. I, I You know, for everybody listening, this is a, really going to be a good one here. So, Susan, tell us a little bit about yourself. Um, well, there's uh, a little to tell, I guess. I, I started out as a geologist, and I graduated um, from the University of Oklahoma. Then I diversified. Ooh, ooh. <laughs> I love Oklahoma. <laughs> well, that's good. Thank you. <laughs> yes. Well, and so actually I got all three degrees there. So I started out as a geologist, then I diversified, and I really focused on um uh, economics, economic development, with resource development, and then I diversified again and, and kept all that going, but also got really involved in communication and, and cultural issues, things like that. And then um, at the end, uh, kept it all going with an uh, operating in the oil industry, but just tried to, to have a syn- synthesis of all of the background. So during this time, uh, I've worked as the director of, of uh, geology and engineering continuing education at University of Oklahoma. And then after that, I was uh, an associate dean for college in, in Albany, New York, Excelsior College. And then I came back to, the, to Oklahoma and started doing operations again and, being, and then working it with AAPG. And it's been really fun. And I've, during that entire time, I've really, really been interested in how resources and new technologies help economic development, human development, and just development in general for, for society and the industry. That's a long list. <laughs> Too long. <laughs> I mean, you would think we're ready for retirement. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think it, I always feel like we're always getting started. Everything's new all the time. It's really exciting. That's a beautiful way to, to go about it. 
you know, uh, like Michael says, like keep it fresh, you and exciting. Absolutely. Right? So when you get to do, uh, live in that, it's like you're living in the moment and everything is OK. So w let's talk about that innovation. So when something's innovative, it has to be seen uh, from different perspectives because you can't be innovative looking at through the same lens as you have been before. Absolutely. Absolutely. I'm so glad to hear you say that because one of the things that I see in, that are necessary ingredients for success are, are uh, uh, teamwork and a willingness to, to try new things. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I've always believed it's like a marriage. You have to take on the risk uh, of marriage. And then, you know, you have to keep it uh, exciting, new and fresh. Otherwise, the marriage gets stale. And then when it becomes stale, there's no more new ideas. Um, I see this a lot in the market myself where I, I see companies that have been in business for a long time. And that marriage that I'm talking about happens between a business and a client or a customer. Um, that you do try to keep your technology, your innovation continuously, um, only to keep the relationship fresh, new, and exciting for those to want to come back. And to me, that's really the ingredients of creating a loyal customer by the work that you put in to make that relationship work. I totally agree. And in and, and the main, meantime, having to be like really agile and making sure that your technology works for today's situation but also tomorrow's and yesterday's because we often double back so i see this in in for example um, imaging subsurface imaging so you might say okay i'm going to use this to uh, manage my water flood okay but can that same situation be used for energy storage that same technology be used for geothermal or even say um, brackish water as a resource Wow, those are some great points. Yeah, like how can a concept, one simple concept, be distributed among different technologies and in different industries and in different uh, areas to, to be useful to the development of our economy? You know, where, where, how does that, where, where's the threshold of that innovation? And where, where does it meet, where does the rubber meet the road? I think that's what we're really kind of getting at here is like, how can you take that proof of concept or the, just the idea and then get it to market? Right. You know, what does it take for that? You know, you talked about resources, utilizing resources. So, you know, can you tell us uh, an example of, of, of uh, innovation that you've taken, that you've seen grow as from an idea that went to market, utilizing resources and how that was spread amongst different applications? Yeah, one, one example that, that comes to mind is uh, it's the it's was started out a little company, Nautilus Technologies, and they came up with um, what they call a spontaneous leak detection um, uh, system. And it's, it's quite unique, and it doesn't use infrared or anything like that, or any kind, it, and it, has, it utilizes sensors that can actually pinpoint leaks, even like, um, 50 miles away within, say, 10 feet. It's pretty phenomenal. Wow. Yeah, it's for gas pipelines. But it started out with, uh, first of all, trying to, to create prototypes. And then it was tested out not just in, in gas pipelines or in, in um, 
gas gathering systems, but also in fire suppression systems and water systems. So it has all kinds of applicability. That sounds like an easy, easy situation, but the company needed to, to grow. So they licensed the technology to a commercialization partner, Proflex Technologies in Houston. And then so they got the prototypes and, and tests and, and did a lot of field tests. And, and, and then in order to grow, they partnered with Siemens. And Siemens is in charge of doing a lot of the fabrication and implementation and marketing. And so it was impossible to do it in isolation, but yet all of, all of this happened during COVID too. So, so there were incredible challenges in terms of logistics and coordination, communication, all that. That's truly amazing. I, you know, it, it really gets me to think, <clears throat> you know, if you've got a good technology, how do you keep it alive while you're going through testing? And, you know, you're going through this long process to make sure that you have a product that fits the market. Um, you know, what is it that you think that maybe they put together to maybe keep this alive and people are still wanting such a technology when you finally open up the door and say, here I am? Well, a couple of things are, are critical. For example, in the case of, of Nautilus and, and Proflex Technologies, they had to make sure that, that there are safety issues and they needed to be certified by FEMSA, which is the Pipeline Hazardous um, Materials Safety Administration. And so they went through rigorous testing and to get that buy-off and, and or that, that sign-off. And, and that, that's really critical. So depending on what you have, you need outside validation. So outside validation is critical. And I think diversification of revenue streams is really important as well. So having two or three um, revenue streams, applications, is, is, is really, really critical to keep yourself from being too vulnerable to just one supplier. Or one you know, I usually <clears throat> I usually go over that when we talk about the business model. Excuse me. <clears throat> In the business model, we look at key partners. And I typically tell my students, if you're looking at key partners, you ought to be looking at those key partners to help you generate revenue streams. Um, you know, I use the old uh, example, if you're a dog walker and you're tired of walking the dog, well, then maybe you don't have enough key partners to drive product. Uh, and I say this in an example where dogs wear collars, you know, they, they have a leash, uh, maybe they have a bed they sleep in, and all those key partners can add to that value proposition, creating more revenue streams. Um, again, trying to sustain yourself within the marketplace, um, being able to add value and demonstrate what the value proposition really is. Absolutely. You know, Susan, you mentioned something earlier that it, it rang. We mentioned a lot of things that are ring true, um, but something that Michael says a lot, right? You know, we remove isolation from innovation, right? So you can't be innovative on your own little island. You know, like like you're saying, that's when you're isolated. You know, you, you can't you can't be innovative when it's just you're you're in the same bubble. Mm -hmm. And you're seeing the same thing, and you're you're doing the same thing over and over. Uh, that that there's there's no uh, there's no food there for you to be innovative, on. Right. You know, so <clears throat> it kind of leads into your you know when you're saying outside validation, your proof of concept. Um, you know, so 
how did Nautilus or how do companies keep from, uh, you know, being eaten up by that one customer who's feeding them, um, you know, before they, you know, starve them until they, they're, they're bought out for a cheap price because their valuation's so low. What, well, that's what a, strategies are there? Yeah, that's, that's an incredibly good, good, uh, good question. And I, I see this all the time with, with um, data process in the data analytics element, as well as, as um, equipment that if a, um, they get really excited because they've got like a, a partner that seems like they're going to really take them someplace and they can. However, however, the, um, the small company doesn't have time because they don't have a huge bank, bank uh, role. And then they, if they have investors, if the investors have to put in more money, then, they, then the principals end up diluting their position. So the, the key is to make sure that, that there are people that are in either related industries or the same industry. I mean, of course, you've got the NDAs, et cetera. It depends on what your goals are. You have to be careful to, to not get into some kind of conflict, but you do need to have additional customers. So, for example, um, um, if it's a certain kind of uh, processing unit that, that you use or a certain kind of drone or a certain type of thing that, that is, like, used, spec'd out for, say, for example, the military or for uh, certain applications, a certain field, make sure that you have a customer that you have a more like neutral type of build for it in an application. Um, and so, for example, if you have a, a tool that you're using in the, in the field and they, the company says, okay, well, you need to customize it for this or that. It needs to fit in our offshore application only. Um, make sure that you get some onshore applications. So that you're not just trapped to, and, and you're narrowing yourself just to, to please your main customer. Yeah, diversifying the product is really important to make sure that you're sustainable within the market. Um, you know, I yeah. see Apple. I'm, not, I'm just going to use Apple for, for a moment. Not that I'm an Apple owner or anything like not that. Not yet. But Angel's pushing me in that direction. <laughs> um, every year, you know, they come out with something uh new and we all stand in well apple folks all stand in that line waiting for that new product because they've uh, done a really a wide range of marketing techniques if you will to keep the customer on the edge as to what they're going to deliver to the market um, i find a lot of startups need to think that way instead of thinking so small i just got to get this one product out prove it and then i can make another product um, Diversification is really important when you have a product that you want long-term success with um, and being able to maybe multiply it in a way in different markets that draw different uh, customers, which also draws a wide variety of benefits. I often say that people won't buy features, they buy benefits. What is it going to do for me? Or what is it going to do for my company? How am I going to benefit? And a lot of times we look at it as an ROI uh, defining what we consider to be the return. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So diversification to me is extremely important, even with a new product coming into market. It's the idea that if I enter this market, what's the next thing am I going to do with it? Uh, 
you know, we always look for plan B, C, and D um, and keeping it fresh, new, and exciting, in other words, and keeping that marriage together with the client or even more so and bringing it into groups. Um, so I find that to be a very difficult uh, part to do when we're just out of the gate thinking of only one thing. Well, and also we start um, solving problems that were important yesterday without realizing that we have huge problems today. Um, and for example, I'm thinking of water, water issues and water. Um, uh, yes. Yeah. And so there are a number of different reverse osmosis and desalination. It's really cool to see that like El Paso is the, has the largest desalination unit from Bra a brackish water zone in the world, in inland. Oh. Didn't I know that? No, and you know, I think the Permian Basin might be able to learn a little bit from that. Well, and he, yes, and yet the thing is, the problem is, is it really, really takes a lot of energy. And so one thing that, that they're doing in Saudi Arabia and part of the whole um, super city project, they, they're doing desalination of ocean, of, of, of saline water from, from, from the ocean, seawater, but they're not using it's it's a new kind of evaporation, and so they're using what look like like geodesic domes, like buckyball domes <laughs> with mirrors yeah. and, and and glass, and then they have a, the evaporation, the condensate goes and trickles down into a receptacle, a, a kind of uh, in the in the ground that's like a um, a steel sphere, and they can produce up to sixty. Uh, 65,000 gallons a day just that's it and then then it's just like um and once it gets going it's water that can be used for anything and then a similar situation in wyoming merritt's petroleum has been doing this for years they they have an old field this uh water uh, water flood and a company has developed a sulfide reduction process that has as, a, as its um, out uh, one of its um, products byproducts is fresh water, so it's so popular hmm. and it's it generates so much water that it has created it, and it's it's approved for um, surface impoundments. So it creates like lakes and freshwater lakes, and it's so popular and useful that the ranchers and communities actually are helping pay for that. So that they have access to the water. So there's a it's a new way of thinking of how to fund it as well, a new business model. And do you see this exploding? I would like to see it exploding. We need it. Uh, I, I agree with you. I just I'm wondering why it's not exploding. I mean, I haven't heard anything about that in the Permian, but um, that's that's just well, it's just said it's innovative. It's innovative, right. um, and that's something that really we can all use. Well, yeah, we don't even have to worry about. Induced seismicity anymore, except maybe from, unless there's some kind of, of um, oh, I don't know, um, collapse <laughs> from, 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 right. But I mean, but we don't have to worry about injection because we can just wait for the, the evaporation. And then it just, I just, I just think that, that it, it re, and this has been around for a long time. People have talked about cleaning up these uh, produced water, but they always hang get hung up on the economics and they don't think about new ways to 
look at how to pay for it. And then they and also there's not yet there's not yet been the level of desperation for water. But I think these will change. This will all change. I agree with that. Right. So it, it you know, innovation comes from necessity a lot of the times because uh, we're forced to be innovative, to get out from uh, the problem that you're in. The solution is on the other side of of the desperation. Um, so we never want to get to that point. Right. But oftentimes that's that's what it does take to kind of kickstart the outside the box thinking, so to say. You know, from an economic uh, point, you know, well, then I, I don't know. I think humans kind of uh, go back to, well, it's always been like that. <laughs> you know, this is how we've always taken care of the problem. Let's throw some money at it. Um, but maybe that's not the solution. Right. And, and exactly. And then there are always these unintended consequences of, say, uh, huge, huge dams or reservoirs or, or whatever. We think that that will solve the problem forever. We need to be diversifying our solutions. So getting back to the water issue, why not try out some of these, these um, new techniques? Talk to a community that has wells nearby that are producing a lot of water and say, okay, let's, let's talk. Let's come up with a plan. Let's come up with a, a, a trial. Right, where it works, it, it, you know, nobody where, if, if it's a group effort, like you mentioned earlier, teams, mm -hmm. so it's a group effort, there's no one entity that's putting all their eggs and just testing this out. It's, it's a shared, it's a shared risk. And isn't that what we want to do as far as improving the environment in the first place? Absolutely, because we all um, live in it. Yeah, I, I, I don't understand why that's not being applied. Um, I think one of my biggest questions is, is how do we generate money to enable it? Mm -hmm. You know, what are some of the tactics that are being used today to enable this other, in other places where they do have money coming in to make that happen? What's some of the, the processes, I guess, in place to make that work? Well, traditionally, um, com countries like Norway have used their production to fund innovation funds. And so they, they are successful in, in being able to do that. And in theory, any kind of carbon trading or carbon cap and trade and, and carbon credits could be used to fund different technologies. The problem with that, though, is it becomes kind of bureaucratic and, and, and can be politicized. And what we need are ways to liberate the little guy, <laughs> to, to be free and create things. And like you said, come up with funding to make it sustainable, at least through the first proofs of concept. And then where do you get the money to, to start um, building it to scale, Producing. to scale up? Yeah. And, and therein lies a lot of the problem, right? The scaling issue again. Yeah. You know, it's the f funding to create the scaling issue. Uh, but uh, to your point of, you know, the, the little guy or uh, being innovative. So I believe it's Google that uh, part of their engineers, they... Uh, they get 15% of their time working for Google. 15% is their own free time to develop whatever they want to develop. Like, it's just free creation time. Do what you will. And so that's where a lot of the innovation from Google has come from, is this 15% of their, their own personal time that they're still getting paid for, but they, they're, able to, they're able to create because 
it's not it's not something that they're pressured to do there's no timeline on it they're just creating look this is what's in my head i see this work let me work on it in my 15 percent spare time and it it works for google i I think and i think that's a model that could work for most companies especially technology companies um or any company really but you know 15 percent of your time isn't like okay i have to reach this deadline it's what can I work on that interests me? Right. Yes. That's where a lot of innovation. Uh, yeah, and that's where the from. motivation comes from too, to, mm-hmm. to create that innovation. Um, and I think that you know, we, yeah. a lot of us. I'm sorry. A lot of us enjoy the challenge. Um, I think most entrepreneurs really do. You know, they always say an entrepreneur can jump off a cliff and assemble a plane before they hit bottom. Well, I, I still think the same thing. If you're an entrepreneur, that innovation, that moti- that you, you're motivated by that. You're solving problems. Another thing too, like, okay, so I love the, th- see, the thing of solving problems. And, and, and what, the, what happens when people have the same idea about solving the problem all at the same time. It's like amazing synchronicity. I see, I see that happening all the time. So should somebody be afraid of that? Should they, oh my gosh, my IP, et cetera. But I, I always look at it and I say, well, okay, everybody sees the same problem. Everybody can see a kind of pathway to solve that problem. But there's a lot of difference between seeing a pathway and actually executing. And that's where I think what, what you guys are doing, you're providing education about how to do project management, how to coordinate, how to do the steps so that that you can get from point A to B. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, too, that not only does the education component in me blossom in that area, um, because that's where I'm very motivated at, but I bring a lot of my own experience into the ball game as to really what works and what doesn't work. Um, I agree with some of the books. Um, I think they're a great foundation, but the biggest variable you have in any market is people. Um, how do people are going to react? Uh, why would people want your product? Uh, why why they, should they trust you and not somebody else? I, I think uh, that too is a huge problem for startups is they have all those problems in front of them. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, we talked earlier, of course, about where do I go to get funded? How do I show my idea? Um, how can I be safe? How can I safeguard my idea where nobody you know, is going to take my IP and run with it? Um, Why well, I'm still trying to get people to understand what it is, the problem I'm trying to solve. Um, and maybe, you know, there's other things in there that you got to be concerned with. I often think, you know, some people think better if they had another partner involved with them so they can have some sort of brainstorming together with different perspectives, exactly, creating more opportunities. And the perspective of the person with the problem, because I, I see another thing I see with the um, challenge is, is a company that has an innovation will say, oh my gosh, XYZ company could really use our solution. They have this problem. And so they trot up to the company and they go, you have this problem, we can solve it. And they go, hmm. I don't really think we have that problem. <laughs> that's that, so that's true. true yeah. yeah, that's so true. Because yeah. they don't see it. No, no, and, and they don't see, and, and, then, and also they're thinking, well, okay, maybe we do, but we're limping along just fine. And um, uh. <laughs> and then I'm, I'm planning to change, uh, I get out of this company soon anyway, so I'm not worried about it. <laughs> 
Ah, kicking kicking the can down the road. Right. Yeah. 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 It, 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 it happens very often, you know. And how do you, um, you know, that that's, again, that's, that's sitting still, right? That's a company that's not new, fresh, and exciting, not, not looking for uh, the next thing, you know, not looking to keep the relationship alive, right? They, they've, they're good. They've got their, their fill, so to speak, and now they, they went out, you know, like, you know, let the next guy take care of it. You know, it's a problem. I see it's a problem, but uh, it's not going to blow up any time in the next before I get out of here. Right. <laughs> or, or they get halfway to the solution. And one, one example is that all these companies that say, okay, well, we will digitize, we will solve your problem with like your, we'll turn your structured, unstructured data into structured and you'll have all this data or we will digitize all this stuff or we'll create all these different things and they, they do it. But then nobody knows what to do with all that data and <laughs> it's, um, and it's not purposeful data. So it could be, right. um, statistics on on anything really um and it, yeah name it <laughs> traffic and then or, it becomes hard yeah yeah how do you articulate that to mean something and yet be able to create something innovative to change to make change mm -hmm. um yeah that's sad when you have that much gold in hand and you don't know how to use it it's the problem of big data right because it's yeah. just all thrown together it's a cluster mm -hmm. you know so how do we mine through that cluster how do we clean the data and even if you're going to clean the data how do you know how you're the right way to clean it to get what you need exactly right? exactly and, and and now you're going back to purpose purpose right right, yeah. right and so so like okay it's really good to be able to train yourself to be able to program and, and be adept at different types of of uh, um, data manipulation and and then to use different aspects i mean it might be um, on-prem or in the cloud but um, being able to again talk to people about your, your needs for say multiple applications and just getting back to energy again thinking about um, optimizing the production but then also um, what can you do in, in terms of, of say having a screening tool to, to immediately pick out which ones will be for the opportunity that you're looking for at that point so it could be brine mining or it could be taking advantage of orphan well subsidies or um, doing uh, uh, plugging and abandoning for carbon credits you know on and on well there's, that's a good list yeah for sure <laughs> For sure. Yeah, that's a good list. And I think it comes down to, well, I think a broad stroke on it is operating while reusing what is traditionally considered the waste for another, uh, I mean, call it what it is, another revenue stream. Oh, or yes. another resource. I love it. Yeah, repurposed. Yes, absolutely. You know, I, I got a question. I know that your, you know, your background, especially, I, I know you get, you, you constantly are probably viewing or reviewing or evaluating the, the oil production and uh, up, upstream to downstream. What do you see as some of the problems right now that uh, may influence other people to say, hey, you know what, I might be an entrepreneur that can fix that? Um, okay, so I think...
Okay, some of the issues right now, okay, we talk about the big ones are always like emissions and and pollution, et cetera. But then if we're looking at today's situation, say in Europe, and um, energy insecurity, then understanding that perspectives have changed, we could just say, okay, let's look at how can, wh what can be quickly converted into energy now, and, um, and what are the long-term implications? And might be say, okay, let's rethink the North Sea. Is it possible to produce the North Sea again? And any, is anything left behind? into the standards that we need and what will it take? How quickly can uh, production be reestablished? Re or some of the onshore fields like the gas fields in, in um, Netherlands. So, so some of the things that have been kind of like not um, considered or say, what is the state of the art right now in terms of, of nuclear energy? How has that changed? Has anything changed? What has it been? You know, just thinking about um, energy so that people will not have to like burn wood and coal or um, you know, do ghastly things during the win winter. I, th I think I think you're dead on with that, and I, I I'm a I'm a real believer in in the nuclear mm -hmm. alternative. You know. I think it's been it's been mis misaligned and demonized over the years, of course. So there's some pretty big reasons why, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, it's scary. It's like watching the the Jaws movie, <laughs> you know. <laughs> you know, when there's really, I mean, yeah, there's shark bites every once in a while, but it's not a thing you should fear when going to the beach. So, that being said, nuclear energy is not something that should be feared when when you're using your devices, you know, watching TV at home. Mm -hmm. You know, and it's clean uh, for, you know, we can contain it. We're able to, um, we're, we're, we, the, the innovation on it has advanced so much um, that I, I really believe that it is, it is the future. Especially smaller units. I mean, like thinking about yes. nuclear subs well, and things like that at that level. I like the idea of using nuclear even to create water. Oh, wow. Um, you know, the heat that it creates also creates the steam and the steam then can uh, be collected uh, and it doesn't take you know a big area to make that happen uh, that was another uh, idea that i have heard before from a university um, so i've always thought about things like that i do know when i worked in uh, in the nuclear field the coolant tower though took so much water from a waterways treatment plant to keep it cool uh, they had no reserves, per se, for the water waste treatment plant to give irrigation because of the amount of water it was taking to cool oh. the raw, it's a containment. Um, so that, was, that became a, a huge problem for the water usage. Um, but anyway, I, I, I see it too nowadays in a new technology and divert, being diverse with it, it. It's the idea that we could use it maybe to create water. Mm-hmm. Um, and the heat creating the steam versus having to cool something off, you're actually heating something up to create the steam to create the water. Is the steam radi radioactive? Just wondering. No. Nope. <laughs> it's not. I, I asked that same question. <laughs> so I'm, the answer I got was no, it's not radioactive. It's, it's actually a clean uh, water that uh, you can drink. You know, the, 
I, I shouldn't say this. This is not a, it's a joke on my case, but, uh, you know, we have a town that uses rever- reversed osmosis for their sewage. Mm-hmm. Uh, and brings it right back into the kitchen. And, you know, everybody didn't like that idea at all. And I said, well, if you stop and think about it, you get to drink your beer twice. <laughs> um, but my point is, is the, the innovation to be able to bring that back in um, is truly remarkable. And uh, working on a water waste treatment plant myself, my background, uh, we were all caught up with digesters and chemical ponds and um you know, sludge processors, and, and now you tell me we can clean all that up and you can drink it again. It's like, what? I never would have believed it. So innovation really is, is those who can create uh, an answer to a problem and solve problems. Um, and now I'm looking at the nuclear thing, and, you know, we just got to get more people to buy in and understand how it works. And I think we have another innovation happening uh, that can solve quite a few problems. Again, I don't think we'd use nuclear to its full capacity. Super um, interesting. And there are still, a, yeah, there, there's a lot more interesting places that you could pl- apply the knowledge. Mm-hmm. But uh, in Midland, uh, I, I know Midland Odessa, Permian Basin, I know the concern's water. Um, what are we doing with it after we extract it? Uh, are we putting it back in the hole? Are we trying to take it and go clean it up and process it? And the answer always seems to be the same when I hear, well, it all has something to do with money. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The cost. Well, and, and so, yeah, if we had, for example, just having a, a, a kind of holistic approach, if we look at how we can have greenhouses around all of the different places that are having um, that are are naturally like either through thermal or evaporation or RO um, creating water from the, the waste, I mean for pure water, and then also have like supply chain uh, for food, etc. So that, that that goes out to local places. And then any kind of, instead of flaring gas, etc., use that to charge batteries that can be used for vehicles if you need that you know why not yeah why not i agree i'm on board (laughs) well you know to me it's more about being Mm self-efficient um no matter what industry you are in uh, somehow that you're contributing to being self-efficient to enable the economy to survive so what are we doing and i think that too comes up with the idea how do we solve these problems um, how, how, why aren't we digging into some of the things that we could do better uh, in creating a better environment and also being able to be a contributor to that? Um, that's, that's answering problems. I, I totally agree. And, and, and I just wanted to point out, too, that, that I think there's too much use of the apocalyptic narrative. I mean, it definitely mm-hmm. grabs he- headlines. It makes people, <laughs> yep. people excited. But it, it's counterproductive. It, it makes us... Just cling to the people who promise immediate safety. Yeah, there's no interaction. No. To really solve problems, there's no teamwork. I'd say either uh, among companies. I think the thing what Angel was saying earlier about companies should have time for that uh, creativity, that R and D in their personal lives to make something happen in the industrial lives. Yes, um, and and and. My, 
yeah, motivate through that kind of excitement and shared joy and not just raw fear. Right. Yeah, that way we all get something back in return. <laughs> Yeah, and I think that's a good point because you know when you are pitching the apocalyptic, uh, you know the scare tactics, it is it does cause fear. And operating from a place of fear, you're very narrow. Uh, we we revert back to our primal snake brains, <laughs> and we, we yeah. either just want to strike out and and bite or hide, slither away and hide. It's one or the other, fight or flight. And I and and we revert to that, you know. But if like you're, I, I agree with you 100%, if you approach it with uh, an open, an openness in general, yeah, then, there, then, then you're opening the door to possibilities and for a, a breakthrough of innovation, you know, especially when you're uh, brainstorming with other people in the same, uh, not even the same uh, space, but I mean, it could be someone from a different industry altogether that has a, a tackled a similar concept just in their own industry that allows you to see what's your, your problem in your industry from a different perspective. Yes. And I think that that's happened time over time again, and people don't even realize where they're getting it from. Maybe they're watching a cartoon and, you know, they, they see, uh, they saw Mickey Mouse doing something wild or Donald Duck and, you know, they're like, Oh, that sparked an idea of a problem that I'm having in the real world, <laughs> you know? <laughs> Yeah. yeah, there's definitely relationships mm -hmm. like that, too. Um, you know, you, you talked a little bit about an incubator. Um, tell me your, your vision of the incubator. How, how does an incubator work? How do you put something like that together? Well, I, I like the new kinds of incubators that are accelerators. So they aren't just, I think the bad incubators are ones where they're just converted shopping mall where somebody said, oh, hey, maybe we can put businesses in here and charge them less rent. Um, yeah. <laughs> we'll have shared copying yeah. in a coffee shop. <laughs> yes, I agree with you. I mean, that's, that's not, to me, an incubator. <laughs> I think a good incubator is an accelerator that works with companies to try to, to facilitate field tests and and real-world applications so that they can publicize the successes. Man, I agree with you. In fact, that's exactly what we've done here as far as the difference between a, an incubator and an accelerator. I always say an accelerator is milking somebody for money, where an accelerator is saying, you know, we're going to put this out in so many days. Um, and they act as an incubator in some instances, like, for instance, uh, giving the educational component uh, making sure that you're bringing resources in from the community uh, to us, that's really important. Oh, yeah. Uh, and then you get a wider vision uh, as to maybe uh, the guidance that you receive as to how you're going to go about it. And, and I think the best thing about uh, an accelerator and bringing people in from the community is you're getting a historical perspective to create future successes. Mm -hmm. Um and I think that's the biggest thing being missed, even in, in some of our colleges and universities and incubators. Is we're so much by a book uh, and trying to apply a book to an idea to fit a market. Um, <laughs> but if you don't have that, that understanding of the market, it's really hard to participate. Right. And I see that a lot. Because the market's already moved. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and something that Michael says a lot, 
Why incubate when you can accelerate? I love that. Yeah. Why do you have an excuse of not being out into the into your market? And uh, incubation to me is an excuse of not being where you need to be when the timing is just right. Um, and if you're incubating, chances are you're probably missing a lot of our opportunities if you're not already what I would say, cocked and loaded uh, and ready to move, um, when the opportunity strikes, you're, you're still incubating. <laughs> you're just getting yeah. bigger and bigger, <laughs> eating more and more, but going nowhere. It's going nowhere. Yeah. Um, and that's really what led this, uh, Susan, is to us developing the uh, accelerator, is the idea of bringing this forward in a very quick, rapid pace to make this happen for uh, those who are serious about the, their ideas and uh, really want to bring uh, innovation to market, mm-hmm. um, they can do it in a matter of time. Yeah. Um, not years, but time, you know, minimal. So um, I always say if you kick back and rest on it, you never do it anyway. And if you get on it and you get moving it, well, yeah, at least you'll hit the market. Right. And then, and then getting people who have the skills that, that are a good fit and encouraging them yeah. to stay. Because sometimes that's really uh, hard, too, that people have a great idea, but they, they don't really have the experience or the, the street cred yet. So they need to get and team up with a person that has that background and experience. But then, um, and, and I think this is a, a good way for people that are worried about uh, kind of, I, I guess they used to call it with the... Uh, well, the workforce renovation or, or re, uh, revitalization, one way to do that is, is to make sure that people are training each other and sharing not just technical expertise or programming expertise, but also uh, life lessons. Oh, man, you couldn't have said mm-hmm. that perfect. That was perfect. Yeah, it was. That was nice. <laughs> yeah, that's absolutely right. Uh, I agree with that 110%. Yeah, you're speaking a lot of our language today, Susan. Oh, my gosh. I'm so glad. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, I, I wanted to know, too, um, moving away from some of this, I want I wanted to say congratulations to you on your you pitch. Um, oh, thank you. And I, I got the opportunity to go to Houston and actually watch and see how that's uh, put together. And uh, I must admit, I left there and I was totally impressed. Um, I just wish there was more you and more of these opportunities um, to maybe help some of these startups, at least, if anything, get the practice of being able to pitch their idea. Well, I love the fact that you, well, thank you so much. And, and I always feel like I, it could be improved. And one of the things that I'm working with right now is the idea of what do you do after the event? I mean, so where's the continuity? Can Is there a place yeah. to go where everything's online and collecting the presentations from everybody to make it them link to the website, but then also get them other aspects of, of um, exposure. And even maybe like do every quarter of 15 two minute pitches just to, oh, just a, a fire uh, hose. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. But we can record it so that people can stop and replay. The you pitch elevator sessions? Yes, that's it. There you go. I like it. You know, I just watched the TV program, and I, it's an entrepreneurial program that they put on weekends. 
Uh, and one of the things that they did is the two, two minute or two second or three second, something like that, or some very low number um, to give a pitch. And uh, the guy that was actually doing this, uh, he was totally confused as to what to say first to make <laughs> the first impact. And I thought that is awesome because that's the first thing you got to think about. What kind of impact am I going to deliver and grabbing the attention of somebody else. It's the intro and outro. Yeah. It's the most important. It's, it's what sticks in the listener's head. Yeah, it's like going to a new house, right? And the, you know, the front yard looks good, but the last thing you look at maybe is the, the door. Is the door just right? Or maybe that's the first thing you see. And uh, the last thing you remember is, well, for me, it would be the kitchen. But uh, who knows? Uh, but you got to know your audience to make that happen. You know, and I think this is a, a good, you know, for you pitch, right? So, Susan, you've seen hundreds of pitches. Hundreds, yeah. Not true. You know. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, for you, experiencing all these and seeing so many done different ways, because just the time that I was there, I saw so many different pitches and different styles and different pitch decks and everything. So what makes for a great pitch deck? Um, a great pitch deck. It does get the message out in an intro kind of way that that's like, okay, I get it. And then you're intrigued enough to keep watching. And and then avoids too much detail. I, I think that it's mm. really difficult for the the um people who are working on it to to relinquish the detail, <laughs> that detail deck. But they there's nothing more more horrible than the person who goes oh okay well let's just go into a little demo of this for, for 15 minutes and like and you can't really see it so you're watching it it's going way into like too much detail you don't really know where they are what they're doing and it's it's um not it's not telling a story and a lot of people have have told fashioned themselves as say engineering storytellers and my my first saw that i thought really you know, <laughs> how can we, you know, like, okay, show me. And then I realized that there is a real need for that, that, mm -hmm. that people just are not telling the story of what they do. They can't. Right, they right. need somebody to help them. Like, what hat are they wearing at the moment? Are they wearing their engineering hat or their storytelling hat? And right. who's leading? Yeah, you know, I find that to be true, too, with, with especially with a pitch. Um, and being on, on the investor side of the game is I see people get lost in the complexities of what they're trying to explain. And unfortunately, I'm not from their market. So because of that, I've lost interest, even though it could be a very good idea had they just kept it simple. Right. Keep it simple. Well, I was going to say the rest of it. And you can, yeah. And you also think <laughs> about how the mind makes meaning. Think about how the adult mind makes meaning and how it learns. It's by making connections to experience, someone's personal experience. So the, the successful ah, yes. pitch has ping, 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 all these connections to the audience's personal experience so they can say, oh, that relates to me. Oh, I feel that. I feel that um, <laughs> emotion when you say yeah. that. <laughs> so what you're saying is know your audience. Know your audience. Absolutely. Know your audience. But then at the same time, um, connect and relate. Yeah, know your audience, know their values, know their experiences, and, um, and then build in prior knowledge. Make them feel smart. 
Yes. And lead them to a place to where you know what question they're going to ask. I like that. The promise land. <laughs> yeah. You know, that's what we usually do in our pitch training here is that we try to lead like an attorney. You, you would never ask a question without knowing the answer. <laughs> so let's reverse that and say, let's go ahead and open a question that they may ask that you do know the answer to. Yeah. But I agree with you. I think it's all about how you know your audience. Uh, how do you increase that intensity of interest? Mm -hmm. um, and how do you keep them on the edge of their seat? If, you know, let's just say if they're from the airplane world and you're from a slip and slide world, obviously you're not talking to the same audience. Uh, and I think that preparation is just as important, if you will, as it is putting the pitch, pitch deck together. Right, right. Absolutely. So, Susan, you pitch. You know, I know we threw it out there that you pitch. Can you tell us a little bit about you pitch? What's oh, going yeah. on with it? The the mechanics. How, where did where did he where did it come from? How did you how did you get involved with it? And if you could also. Uh, throw in there at the tail end, uh, how does UPitch support commercialization of new technologies into the market? Okay. Well, I've been involved in, in technology development for a long time. And then um, in different programs, et cetera, over the years. But in 2017, we had our 100-year um, anniversary at APG. And I thought, okay, let's just bring it together and do something kind of different. So we had something we called originally Pitchapalooza. It was one day one morning that's oh, cool yeah i liked it, it, it i didn't go too. to that concert <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and then and then it went to um we had five minute pitches and we take a break and have another round of five minute pitches and it was pretty draining but it was great then we decided to like have it in the in the exhibit hall floor just to to kind of make it more of a uh, an event or an interactive thing and give more random stuff to it, like more opportunity. You didn't have to sign up. So that worked out. We also tried to have a few things where we did things online and we had websites where people would go for the housed um, presentations for those who wanted to have their presentations up on the web. And that, that went well. But we found that what was really happening is we were finding that accelerators, uh, company scouts, we were having investors, we we're having venture capital people, all those people were saying, I like this, this is interesting. Then we decided to like really make sure that we had panels of the, of the accelerators and all the people that were like the quote sharks, have as many as possible, so people could get a more of a sense of where the, some of the opportunities are out there and who to contact. So that's where really trying to make a, a big um, push to match make, not just statically have pitches. And we're trying to be really proactive about it and make introductions and have teams that are really good about that. And so that's where kind of like the accelerator part, as far as we get involved, is like the, the matchmaking and then you just take it from there. And we'll have our, our next Live you pitch will be um, in, at your tech, and that will be well. Actually, will be at Energy Opportunities in Mexico City in March, and then oh. we'll also be um, at your tech next year. But then, what we're planning on um, October thirteenth, we will have a. Um, I'll be sending out. I'll send information tonight, but we're having a, a APG Academy kind of. Um, 
webinar at noon on October 13th next week, <laughs> and it will. And we're just going to talk about things like um, well, just basics about how to to approach an accelerator. And I'd really like to invite you to be there and and, and talk a little bit. And then also there's a new place called Technology Catalog, how to get your um, product in different directories and catalogs. Wow, that's exciting. Yeah. Yeah, wow. that's really exciting. Yeah, thank you for the invite too, Susan. You're welcome. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I'll send it to you. Now. If you I'll, I'll, great, great. Yeah, we'll do, we'll, we'll do that. And you know, I love talking in front of people, as long as they all have their eyes closed. <laughs> No, I'm good. Well, this will be, uh, this will be via Zoom. Well, I'll see if I can't uh, participate for sure. Uh, oh, I'd good, love the opportunity. Good. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, anything else that you can tell our, our audience about a pitch, putting a pitch together, um, maybe some of the important things maybe in a pitch deck that they should probably consider? Um, uh, you know, we, we get people in here, and I'd really like to take them to you pitch. Um, um, I, we have a template. Basically, it starts out with what do you want to accomplish? What is your product? What do you want to accomplish with it? What do you want? Where do you want to be in six months, a year, five years? And, um, and then what makes you uniquely qualified to do this? So credibility. You know, it's funny how we align. I, uh, I usually have a client that comes in my office first time and they got a, you know, they always come up with the same thing. I got a million dollar idea. So I ask three questions and typically the first question is, who are you? Tell me a little bit about your background, where you come from. Um, maybe give me a, the idea of where you see yourself in a year or two. Um, and then my next question is, is what are you selling and why are you selling it? Um, What's the purpose behind it? What's the mission and vision maybe that you see with this particular product or service? So actually I'm drilling down as I'm asking these questions. Oh, wow. And then uh, the third one I typically ask is, well, who's gonna buy it? <laughs> you know, who, what's that customer look like? What's the characteristics of the customer? Yeah. Um, how big is the audience that you're looking to say that this is my target? Um, now what I'm really looking for is, okay, if you got this problem solved in the market how big is the market because I want to know how much money you're worth um, you know as an investor those are the first three questions I typically wonder who are you what are you selling and who's going to buy it yes and then absolutely you, you go deeper with the question as the conversation continues but uh, at least it gives me a good place to knowing where I need to start that's wonderful well I just can't tell you how much I've appreciated being a guest today well, we have enjoyed you completely. I mean, gosh dang, it's it's exciting to have somebody of your nature being able to talk about the uh, developments in the business world. So, oh, thank you. You've made my day. Oh, and, uh, mutual. <laughs> I, well, I, I'm saying that because not only that though, your you pitch is exciting. It's fresh. It's new, um, and I'd really like to see more of it. Oh, thank you. It's great. Yeah. yeah, and we were honored to be part of it. So thank you for uh, the invite to that as well, because it it, uh, it exposed us to a lot of, you know, what's out there. Well, I count on yeah. you being yeah. part of the team again, so. Awesome. We're, yeah. we're in. Good. We're in. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, well, we want to thank you for coming on and sharing your knowledge, your expertise, your outlook on innovation. Uh, and, you know, where, where can we take, where, where, what's next? Where can we take humanity is next? So, you know, if you have any uh, parting comments in that regard, we'd love to hear them. Oh, I just say keep a positive outlook no matter what. There you go. I love it. Love it, right? Yeah, I love it. Awesome. Stay positive. Yes. And, and, and stay moving. Absolutely. Like yeah, stay moving. <laughs> <laughs> well, fantastic, Susan. Well, thank you very much, and uh, we hope to be talking to you very soon. Oh, thank you. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> and we got to have you back on at some point. Oh, I would yeah, love we that. Do. Yeah, we do. This podcast is brought to you by Ames Business Intelligence Solutions, offering a personalized experience to navigate, organize, and manage data to respond efficiently to the growing demands of your business. Single streamlined system to increase efficiency, standardize your business processes, reduce errors, and increase revenue by improved decision making. For more information, visit AIMSBI.com. That's A I M S B I.com. Or call 432 247 8840. That's 247 8840. BAM Consulting is your one stop shop for all things business an entrepreneur could ever ask for. Make sure to mention this podcast to receive $500 off of a top of the line impactful website or $100 off the formation of your LLC legal entity structure. Thank you for tuning in to the BAM Biz Talk podcast. Contact us for podcast sponsorship opportunities.